following is a continuation in our series looking at who Jesus is and how his character changes the way we live. We hope you enjoy. Talk about you as being fully God, that you would work in us, Lord. Help us to see the importance of that. It seems so obvious, but it's something that is taken for granted in many circles. So I just pray that you would be with us and watch over us as we learn about how you are fully God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know I've used this illustration before, but it's a really good one, so I'm going to use it again. So the New York Times wrote this piece about a guy named Joshua Bell, who's one of the most well-known and famous violinists in the world. He's the best of the best. In fact, they wrote in this article that Joshua Bell stands in no one's shadow when it comes to playing the violin. And in 2007, there was actually a social experiment that was done by the Washington Post. And they had him show up at this specific subway in Washington, D.C. And he set up shop right at rush hour in the morning, and he just put on regular clothes, jeans, shirt, and a baseball cap, and he just starts playing as people are getting on the subway to go to work. Now, as he starts, he pulls out his Gibson EX Huberman, which was handcrafted in the year 1713 by Antonio Stradivari. Now, if you know anything about music, a Stradivarius, I don't know if I'm saying that right, a Stradivarius violin... Those are the best in the world, and this was handmade by the guy that it's named after. It's $3.5 million in value, and he just whips it out in the middle of the subway and starts playing. Now, the interesting thing about this social experiment was that he played for 43 minutes in this subway before anybody actually realized who he was. And there was one woman who stopped and was just watching him, and she's like, "You're, you're Joshua Bell. I get it, but nobody knows who the famous violinists in the world are, right? But there was greatness standing there, and people were just walking on by, right? Going about their business, going about their day. He played six classical pieces over 43 minutes, and barely anybody recognized him. Now, again, these people were busy. They're trying to get to work. It's chaotic, and they had no idea who was standing there. However, this experiment actually does tell us something about us as human beings. It tells us a lot about... The fact that sometimes we don't realize just how great something is, and it's right in front of us. And I think there is a sense in which greatness can go unnoticed, in the sense that we look at God's divinity, Jesus' divinity specifically. Jesus lived on earth as a man. We spent a lot of time last week talking about his humanity, how he is fully human, and how that impacts the way that we live and changes our mindset about salvation, because unless he was fully human, he could not represent humankind in our place. But the fact that he's fully God means that he can be fully perfect and uphold the laws and he can give us himself in order to secure that salvation. He lived on earth as a man. He had an everyday job as a carpenter. He shopped for food in the marketplaces. He drank water. He answered doors, right? All normal stuff. He's fully human. But what we're going to do tonight is we're going to mold two things together, and the math does not make sense. Gideon, I'm sorry, the math is not going to make sense tonight. He is 100% man, 100% God. Okay? 200% Jesus, right? Okay? In all of his humanity, he was still God. He was still divine. Okay? This is God walking amongst his people. 
Last week we read from this very passage, we're going to read it again tonight, that Jesus, he was giving up certain privileges that he had as God, but it didn't make him any less God to come and serve us as a man. And today we're going to see that even in all of that, he still remained fully, fully God. So if you're taking notes, our main point is Jesus being fully God means that he can fully redeem his people. Jesus being fully God means that he can fully redeem his people. So let's ask our two questions. What does this mean and why does this matter? So what does this mean? John's going to come up and read Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11 for us. All right. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, made of himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Awesome. Thank you, John. So the, this word form is used here. I want us to kind of break down this word here. This term is, it represents the true and exact nature of something. It possesses all the characteristics and qualities of something. So there's a direct contrast here between verse, uh, verse 7, when it says he took the form of a servant. He was in the form of God. So if you look at both of those things, if he takes on the form of a servant, he's taking on the qualities of humankind. But he was also the form of God. So it's not like he's any less of a form of God. He is fully God because it's the true and exact nature of something. To be described in the form of God translates with equality with God. Okay, Jesus has always been God. Hebrews 1 3 describes Jesus by saying he is the irradiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So in Christ did not imagine having equality with God. It's not as if he didn't have that or he didn't think was equal with God. What it was, again, was that setting aside of certain divine attributes in order to identify with his people. This was the whole idea of him coming as a servant. He wouldn't hold on to his privileges at all costs. He would actually put some of those aside. It was not something to be grasped or to be exploited for his own benefit. He truly came to serve and love us. His mindset was servanthood. Now, there's a few things that we need to note about when Paul says he emptied himself. It does not mean that Christ became less than God when he emptied himself. It does not mean that Christ ever gave up being in the form of God because he just said that he was in the form of God. What he's doing here, again, is emphasizing that service-minded nature of what Jesus came to do. He set that aside so much because he loves you. Jesus, the Redeemer of the universe looked at you and said, I'm going to set aside the most glorified, majestic, holy things about myself to come after you. Think about that. He loves you that much that he did that. And that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. He had every right to stay comfortably where he was, but he chose to come and condescend to our level. Now, I'm going to get a little technical here, but I think you all need a little technicality in your life every now and then. This is a term that we call the hypostatic union. This comes from the Greek word hypostasis, which is the Greek word for substance. This whole idea that God is fully human and fully God. 
How does that work? That's this union here, this hypostatic union. One writer describes this as a technical term for the unipersonality of Jesus, where in the incarnation, the Son of God was constituted a complex person with both a human and divine nature. That's all in one. So I want us to look at some of the misunderstandings of this. What this does not mean is that Jesus is some sort of mixing of divine attributes and human attributes. Okay, Kind of like the way you mix yellow and red to get orange. Okay, It's not like that, where his humanity and his divinity are mixed and then we get Jesus. Okay, It's not like a mixing of it. Jesus is not less than he was in heaven. Okay, At the incarnation, he did not cease to be what he always was. It's also not a splitting. So he's not like saying, oh, okay, I've got 50% of my divinity over here, 50% of my humanity over here together. That makes 100%. Okay. It's not a splitting of those natures. He's not half God and half man. He's fully God and fully man. Now, I know that you hear me say that and you're like, whatever tree, all that doesn't really matter to me. This should mean everything to us. Okay. And here's why it matters. So. Second point, why does this matter? Nathan's going to come up and read Colossians chapter 2, 9 to 15. Thank you, Nathan. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Awesome. Thank you, Nathan. So, in Jesus, the fullness of deity dwells. Okay. Now, notice the fullness. No partial language used here. Jesus fully represents God, fully represents divinity. And in the context of this passage, I want you to see how this plays out. Okay. If Jesus was any less than fully God, I'm just going to work through the verses here. In verse 10, we couldn't be filled in him. If he wasn't fully God, we couldn't be circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in verse 11. We couldn't be buried in his baptism in verse 12. And consequently, we couldn't be raised with him, also in verse 12. We couldn't be made alive together with him in 13. We couldn't have the record of debt forgiven in 14. We couldn't have him disarm the rulers and authorities or triumph over them in verse 15. I hope you see the point there. If Jesus wasn't fully God, this doesn't matter. This whole book is worthless if we don't truly believe that Jesus was fully God. Jesus being fully God means that he has the full power to do what he came to do. He came to forgive sins. There's no way he was ever going to fail on that mission because he is fully God. He is perfect. And all this matters because as we understand just how amazing that is, that he is fully God, we see just how remarkable it is that he would even choose to come and do that for us. Writer Mark Jones says, In need of nothing, he gave up his rights and privileges in order to save those who have nothing so that they might attain all that he has surrendered. According to a study done a couple years ago, 2022, the State of Theology study, 38% of American evangelicals agree 
with the statement, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. I want you to think about that. That means nearly two-fifths of American evangelicals, statistics are statistics, we take them with a grain of salt, but nearly two-fifths of Americans qualify as heretics. If you just think that Jesus was a good teacher and he was not fully God, like this, this was a, a heresy known as Arianism. And it was condemned a long time ago. Yes? No, we're not going to do what people did there. <laughs> Great question, but, but no, thank you. But think about that. That means a large portion of Americans living in this country that claim that they love Jesus and are Christians don't believe that Jesus was God. Do you see how they're missing out on a big part of what Christianity is all about and what our faith is all about? If Jesus was not fully God, then you would have no right to trust in his name. Like, you wouldn't need to trust in his name because he wouldn't be fully God. You couldn't trust in him for salvation because his perfect holiness wouldn't exist if he wasn't God. Both his humanity and his divinity are so important. Without both of those, that union, that hypostatic union, then you and I have nothing. We might as well just pack up and go home. Because there's no point in any of this. But we serve a holy, righteous, perfect God who loves you. He wants you to know that he loves you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And the beautiful thing is no other religion in the world can promise that. And if you look at all the other world religions, there are all these impersonal gods that live up in their, their impersonal kingdoms. They would never, ever come and stoop so low to be with humanity. But God did that because he knows how much we needed it. And in that relationship, there is a desire from him to know you and love you, and a desire for him on your part to love him and know him. And if Christ is divine, then he actually has a right over your life. As God, he has a right over your life because he is your creator. And there's an invitation there to be in relationship with him. That's what he wants from you. Because if he is fully God, then he can fully redeem his people. Okay, Jesus had to be fully God. Because if he wasn't fully God, he couldn't satisfy the wrath of God to secure your salvation. I'll end with this. One other writer says that the Redeemer had to be truly human in order to suffer and sympathize. But the Redeemer had to be fully divine in order to satisfy and secure. So again, I know sometimes some of the stuff I say up here, you're like, yeah, this isn't that important. I want you to let this soak in and be real and good and important for you. Because if those statistics are true, that is really, really sad. Like, if people don't believe that Jesus was God, he was just some good teacher. He was a good teacher, but he was more than that. He was fully God. So we're going to spend some time talking about that in small groups. But let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll head that way. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. ask that you would teach us more about how much you love us tonight, Lord. And we just thank you for this time that we can spend time in your word. ask that you be with these students, be with these leaders. Help us to leave here better and more transformed because we spent time in fellowship and in your work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an ear out for more audio upcoming from WYM.